how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Rachel Schuchert grew up in the Omaha theater scene, where she absorbed plays by Tennessee Williams as an actress, before landing at NYU, where she began to find her voice as a screenwriter. Today, she's known for Supergirl, Glow, Cursed, The Handmaid's Tale, and creating Netflix's The Babysitter's Club, where she's also been producing. In the 2020 series, the description reads, based on the book series by the same name, focusing on a group of young girls who start their own babysitting service. In this interview, Rachel talks about writing period pieces from the writer and producer perspective, how screenwriting is actually like a piece of string, how her spec script, Wendy Darling, got her noticed, and why everything is possible and nothing is possible as a screenwriter. I'd always been an incredible film and television buff. Um, I loved movies and TV the most of anything in the world, <laughs> except for theater. Um, and so, you know, I started my career in theater as a playwright and an actor. And that's what I sort of thought I was going to do because it just seemed accessible to me at the time. It was like, you know, I grew up in Omaha where there was a big local theater scene and I started working in that at a very young age, um, I mean, working, it's like, it was all community theater. So it's like, but, you know, I took it very seriously. <laughs> and, um, but I, I never really thought about being a writer because I kind of didn't realize that anyone did that. All the plays we did were of, you know, sort of long dead right. playwrights or people that were very absent. So it was just like this thing that it didn't, I didn't really realize that it was like a thing you could do. And then I went to NYU for acting. And while I was there, I started to write more, you know, sort of writing things to perform scenes, ultimately plays. Um, and so that that's really where my background was. And it was sort of a natural segue into film and TV, especially because as I, you know, sort of to make money and things um, while I was in New York working in theater, I was started to write for magazines and blogs and things like that, you know, that kind of media. And then I started to write books. And the thing that I missed the most about that process was the collaborative process of getting to work with people, of getting to work yeah. with actors, of getting to be with like a lot of other creative people in a room. So um, 
I was like, well, I just want to write TV. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. When you're doing those more, like you said, long dead writers kind of transitioning to more current works, was it, was there any difficulties like finding a female voice where you're probably reading more male voices and old plays and that type of thing? Like, how did that kind of come to be? Cause that's very much what you're known for. Yeah, it's true. You know, there's not a lot. And I feel like, um, I feel like my generation is kind of the first generation where there started to be like a lot of really prominent female playwrights that are kind of at the top of their game. I mean, that, that's not really fair to say, but I guess there's just more like awareness that that's something mm -hmm. that people need to pay attention to. Um, definitely, I think as a woman, it did not occur to me that, you know, that was something that like women did. I mean, that sounds so retrograde when I talk about it now, but I was like a little girl in Nebraska in the eighties, <laughs> you know, very few of the directors were women, very few of the writers were women. It was just felt like something that needed to, I don't know. It just, it wasn't, I was like, well, you're, you're an actress. That's what you do, you know? Um, so I didn't have a lot of models. What I did find myself really connecting to were great female characters and plays. Like I, I loved Tennessee Williams when I was a little girl, I would read Tennessee Williams plays over and over again. And I found myself really connecting to female characters in movies and in novels and things like that. And I, I think that was sort of my way in is figuring out how I could sort of translate my voice and my thoughts into something like that. What were some of your first works? Like some of the first credits I see are Red Band Society and Supergirl. Like how did you kind of first land on Supergirl, for example? Well, um, I, Red Band Society was my first staff job. I had just moved to LA. Um, I knew the creator, Margaret Nagel, a little bit. I'd like met her once when I came to LA and we had lunch together. And it was that kind of a like, you should know this person sort of thing. And when she was staffing her show, um, she very kindly called me in for an interview and I got the job. Um, and that was kind of in a way like a fluke, you know, like I, mm. I feel like I got really lucky. I mean, I had been writing a lot like in theater and in magazines and I had published four books and I had done all this stuff. So I was, you know, I was a very experienced writer, but like I really kind of lucked into getting staffed on a TV show. And that that job was challenging, um, obviously. And there was a lot to learn. There's a long learning curve, like when you get into a room for the first time. So I uh, I and then but the show was canceled after one season. So I needed to find another job. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a new sample in the meantime for my agents to send out, which everybody really liked, um, which got me the interview on Supergirl and I got the job. Was that like a spec script? Or what, yeah. <laughs> what, what was kind of that sample? Was that a spec script or was that a pilot or something like that? It was a pilot. It was, um, I wrote a pilot. It was called Wendy Darling. And it was sort of imagined that Wendy from Peter Pan had grown up after she came back from Neverland and became um a nurse in World War One, <laughs> and was sort of living in this like, you know, weird, like, oh, this is what I came back for. This is why I grew up. And, you know, and she kind of um, gets dragged back into the past. It was a little bit of a, a like mm -hmm. revisioning kind of sequel, but it, it, it wasn't, it was like a cool idea I had. I liked it and it got a lot of attention, mm -hmm. um, which was great. That was one, one thing with pilots. I think it's good to use characters that people already know right. who they are. So that's kind of unique. So a lot of people don't really talk about that, but it used to be, you know, back in the day, you wrote a Seinfeld script or a West Wing script yeah, or whatever. Yeah. How important is the balance of, you know, the actual writing itself and the idea or the concept for a pilot just getting noticed, blacklisted or whatever? Well, I, I can tell you when I'm hiring, mm -hmm. um, I feel like you're reading so many scripts, you know, you have to know that any showrunner that's looking to hire writers is reading probably 300, 400 scripts of submissions. Mm -hmm. so I think having like a really hooky idea, at least for me, like that would get my attention because it's so easy for like a lot of things to blur together. I mean, if you're reading like 
I hate to say it like yet another sort of like cop drama spec or another like half hour about like dating in LA. And even if the writing is great, they kind of blend together and it's hard to remember like whose was whose. Mm -hmm. So especially if you are not, I mean, I think that there are some voices that are just so idiosyncratic and undeniable that you notice it right away. But I do think that like a kind of hooky concept that people can immediately that's just like, oh, that one, that was the one with the aliens or whatever. <laughs> like, like that helps, you know, it helps you get, cause it's at that stage in the game, it's just about like getting your script remembered, you know? Right. Do you see kind of like in hindsight now, um, some singularity to your career, like Supergirl, Glow, Babysitter's Club, do you see like certain aspects there? Like what makes a script your script and those type of things? I mean, I definitely seem to write about women. I think I, I say that I, I feel like all of my shows and right now I'm working on The Handmaid's Tale, which is obviously very tonally different than The Babysitter's Club, but um, they're all about women with projects, you know, like groups of women with projects. And it's about their interpersonal dynamics with each other. I write a lot about, you know, friendship. I write a lot about like women with ambition. Um, I feel like, and and... I feel like those tend to, that tends to be the connective tissue in my work. Um, what are some of the difficulties of like, let, let's say a, a show like glow you've got, and it seems like 10 female characters. How, how is it difficult to make them all different and unique? How do you kind of break down characters and have those conversations to make sure they're all very individualized? I mean, well, on glow, you know, it's all about the characters and, and I found it's less difficult, honestly, to make, to differentiate the characters from each other in terms of their voice and their point of view. You know, it's important to be really specific about who you're writing about, but if you think about it, you know 14 people in your life and they're all different from each other. You can tell right. them apart. So if you really know who you're writing about, it's not that hard. The bigger challenge with a cast like Glow um, and with the Babysitter's Club, even to the lesser degree, I mean, we have like seven series regulars now like in the club, um, is just finding the time to service all of those characters and making sure that they all get something substantial to do. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's only so many minutes in an episode of television and, and you want to really feel like each of them is getting a real moment that feels like a sort of um, essential story and not just like thrown a line, you know, every right. three scenes or whatever. So that that's really the challenge, I think, is kind of finding room for all of those characters to shine, you know, and to have their moment and to figure out like what is compelling about each character and what compelling story do you want them to take part in? Are there some, are there some logistics behind how you do that in the writer's room? Do you have big boards? Do you have books? Do you have like, how do you kind of uh, start to work on some of those arts for the characters for a full season? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we always have big boards. <laughs> and especially with this on Glow, you know, we would kind of organize the characters a little bit. Because obviously there were some, some of the characters on Glow were sort of more main characters I mean even though it's like an ensemble cast like you knew you always needed to kind of um service Ruth with Debbie you know that like just in terms of kind of the way that the story was built so we would sort of work out um and we did we did this a little on the babysitter's club but the babysitter's club is a little different because it's sort of more of an ensemble with this like shifting perspective so they're each kind of the protagonist of their own episodes but Mm -hmm. on glow we would really talk through every character at the beginning of the season when we first started started in the room and and what their kind of trajectory for the season was like what what was their what was their arc what was their story and we would sort of talk those through and then we would like almost write them up like little short stories so we would have them in kind of like our own season bible mm-hmm. and then we'd figure out like which beats could stay and sometimes you know we would obviously always lose things but figure out kind of like where those lay we had like a big board that had every episode of the season just like you know 201 202 203 and you would just kind of like 
almost like a map, like sort of write down, like, I think this happens to her around episode five, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So we had this kind of like string that like went across and on the babysitters club, you know, all of the episodes are sort of loosely based on actual books from the series. Um, some of them are truer to the stories or not, but all of them, the rule is that each one has to have like an actual title that's an actual book. And we have this sort of shifting first person narration. Mm -hmm. So we would sort of be like, okay, well, this is going to be Claudia's episode, which Claudia's story are we going to tell? And then we would mm -hmm. sort of figure out the way that the other characters fed into that story or had their own stories around it. Um, but it was a little less like serialized and a little more like each, each episode is sort of more individually focused on each girl. So they each get their little moment, you know, which is very much the way the book series was structured also. Is the tone about the same for Babysitter's Club is a little bit different since it's like for Netflix? Well, Glow is also book. for, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Over the like, book. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's definitely more modern. You know, the mm -hmm. books were written in the sort of 80s and 90s. So we we updated a lot of things, just the way the girls talk, the relationship with their parents, right. the kind of families that they're in. Um, so that's a little different. Um, but what we really wanted to, we really wanted to take like what we thought was the best part of the books, like this sort of sense of friendship and the and community and um, the kind of really like positive sort of uh, lessons and feelings that they could impart, like all the things. Cause I was, I was a huge fan of Babysitter's Club as a kid. And so was pretty much everybody that worked on the show. So we all had our like intense sort of love for it and fondness for the characters and, and knowledge of them. And um, so we wanted to kind of preserve what really made the books feel so special, like their animated spirit. And then we just would sort of update some of the details, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you see, um, how do you kind of see the market today for like women's stories? So it seems like yours, Supergirl Glow, Babysitter's Club are very specific stories for women. I mean, this, the Glow's kind of based around a true story about female wrestlers and Babysitter's Club, obviously. Do you see any dangers in some of these movies that just feel like a cosmetic change? Like, okay, there was a movie like this for guys and now there's one for girls. Like, do you see that? there's enough depth in these movies and shows being made that they're actually for women and very, very deep characters and those type of things. Well, I mean, I think all movies are for everyone. I mean, I feel like there's movies that people tend to like more than others, but um, I try to not think about like, oh, this is for women, mm -hmm. even though I know that like women will connect to it. I do think what's important is like that you really fill out your female characters as characters. And which you would do for men, you know, I, right. I think there is sometimes like that cosmetic change of just swapping out a woman for this like action movie or whatever. So, so it's like, oh, it's a, and I think that people also sometimes simplify female characters because, um, you know, they don't want it. It's like, it, it's to not seem sexist, but then it becomes totally sexist because it's like, they have to be sort of perfect. They have to be these super women. They have to, you know, this idea that like if a woman has a flaw, she's no longer relatable or likable or whatever, which is crazy because like flaws are what make you relatable. Um, so I think I think there's some of that. I, I think, but I think that um, some of these times that like it, you fall prey to what you're saying of just sort of swapping in a woman for a character, it's it's it would be bad storytelling if it was a man. You know, if the right, character right. is not fully fleshed out. The character is not fully fleshed out. If the story doesn't work, the story doesn't work. Um, I feel like I'm just trying to tell compelling stories about compelling characters. And I tend to write about women, I guess, because I am one and I sort of know what goes on with us behind closed doors, you know. Um, but I but I don't think that like it's inherently different to write a female, a good female character than a good male character.
are you still writing? What are some of the things I like to ask? What are some of the things that we're not seeing? Like, obviously, I'm, I'm talking about all the projects you've had made, but do you still have a pile of spec scripts in a drawer somewhere? Like, what do you kind of do in between projects? What do you, when do you know that another project is ready to write a draft? And that, what's kind of some of the things we don't see with your work? I mean, I don't tend to write a lot of things if I'm not like getting paid for that. <laughs> I have a four year old. I don't have a lot of their time, you know. Um, I do have a lot of like ideas for things that are not like the scripts don't necessarily exist, but I have these like pitches. I mean, I feel like I'm always trying. I'm always trying to do things that are really like period, and I feel like that's always a hard thing to sell because people worry that people won't get the period. I'm always super interested in like these kind of obscure historical moments that I think are sometimes a hard. Sell. Oh, for people. Um, that's probably, you know, I always want to do things that are about like Hollywood in the 30s or like Berlin right. in the 20s or whatever. And I feel like you have to give everyone this like historical treatise before you pitch it. And that's when you like lose them. And that makes mm. people anxious. Um, but I feel like, you know, I have hope for everything that I still have. <laughs> I think it's good. Well, there's some other expression, like I think when you make it historic, you have to triple the budget or something. They say something like that, you know. Yeah, you know, it's like, I feel like it's a funny thing. It's like, they're always saying like, well, period's hard for us. And then you're like, well, literally everything on television is period, you know. Right. And the truth is like, all television is like impossible and expensive. No <laughs> what? I mean, I feel like sometimes you want a prop, but it's like the craziest thing about TV. You want a prop or something that seems like very simple. And they're like, oh, well, that's going to be like $2,000. And you're like, right. it's, it's a pizza, like get a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't, I'm sure I know the period stuff costs more. I mean, on Glow, just doing like the period of the 80s, which is fairly recent. So it's not even like you have to really like crazily scout architecture and things like that. I mean, just like the cars and the like, all that stuff is like a pain. But right. I also think it's really fun for the, you know, the kind of creative um, departments to do. Like they all like it. So it's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I guess it's harder. <laughs> <laughs> What do you do with those ideas? Do you like have them on your phone? Like where do you, when you're just coming up with like, oh, this is interesting. Like, how do you kind of go back and explore those over time and everything? You know, it's funny. I used to never really write anything down because I always had a really great memory. And I was like, well, if it's a good enough idea, I'll just remember it. Right. And I had a baby and that stopped being true. <laughs> so now I write things down. Yeah, I'll, I'll write stuff. I, I have little notebooks all over the place, you know, and little pads. And I just sort of like write things down. And sometimes I find that even if I write it down, I never can find that notebook again. Just the fact that I wrote it down, like sort of mm. edited it in my mind in a different way, you know, and then you come across it later and you're like, oh, yeah, but I used to just always constantly write in like paperback books and things like that. And then I'd forget like which book I made those notes in. I'm not very organized, <laughs> um, but now there's the notes app on my phone. That's been very useful. Um, and I just will sometimes just open my computer and just like type sort of freeform notes, like in a word doc. That's kind of, that's kind of the easiest thing for me, I think, is to just sort of get stuff down so that I can refer to it later. And a lot of it is not notes. So it makes sense to anybody else. You know, it's like sentence fragments and stuff like that. But if it's enough for me to, that I can reconstruct it, that's all I'm worried about. And but it's always, a, it's always a struggle because all, all these moments this happens a lot. Like when you're driving, you know, mm. I used to always get ideas in the shower when I lived in New York, that was like my thinking place. And now it's the car and neither of those places are very conducive to writing things down. <laughs> right. You see, have you gone back and ever read that Wendy script again? I'm, I'm curious, like how, like you kind of mentioned, like knowing the budget and knowing some of those producer aspects, 
do they change your writing or change the way you think of storytelling as opposed to when you, you know, didn't know as much about some of the limitations of storytelling? I mean, sure. Like I, I feel like anything is possible. I mean, it's kind of like everything. It's like everything is possible and nothing is possible. If you have the money and you have the time, right. I mean, you can make anything happen. Um, I think especially in a pilot like that, it's not that useful to think about limitations because especially for something that's meant to be a sample, like the sky is the limit. You know, I think, I think when you're not writing to production, to a production schedule or to like budgetary restrictions, you should really let yourself think as big as you can because it's like the purest expression of your voice and your creativity. Mm-hmm. Then when your show gets ordered to series, that's when you have to start thinking about that stuff and like, right. you know, making adjustments and trying to figure out like what your sets are and, you know, how you're going to produce it and start really thinking about a producer. But I feel like that, sh- you don't want that to be like the, the inhibiting thing as you like start, you know. Mm-hmm. I will say though, I find like once a series is up and running and you know your limitations, that can actually be very freeing creatively, you know, because it's all a little bit of like a jigsaw puzzle and it can actually really help you kind of focus your mind when your choices aren't limitless. You know, it's like, well, what's a story that we can tell on these sets or we really need to like pull back? Is there a bottle episode we can do? I mean, sometimes like sometimes the limitations really help, you know, it feels a little bit, I would say it's sort of like a quick fire challenge from Top Chef where they're like, here's the four things, you know, like make something that's delicious. And sometimes you can come up with something that's really good. Do you remember any like misconceptions you had about the industry or false or things you used to believe that you no longer think are true about screenwriting? You know, that's a really good question. I think I think screenwriting is definitely a little bit of a craft that you have to learn. You know, I, I'm sure that there are like incredible prodigies at it who just like know exactly how to do it the first time. I don't think I was one of those. I mean, just in terms of like learning about like the function of a scene in a script and how it needs to move the story forward just a little bit and where you begin and where you end. You know, I always think of it as sort of, you know, with a novel, which I had written before. You can have these total like flights of fancy. You can have flashbacks in someone's head. A scene can go on for a really long time. You can like linger in one place for a really long time. There's kind of no rules. And I feel like with a story that's in a in television or film, it's like you have this long piece of string and it's your job to figure out like what part of the string you're going to tell, you know, like where does it begin and where does it be? And it can go and it went way, way, way on before that and will continue on and on. But like your job is to figure out the most interesting piece of string from here to here, like in that long string. So that, that has been like the most useful way for me to think about it is just like, what's the best part? Like, what's the snapshot of this scene that I want to tell? Like, you know, even though it could go on and finding the real like beginning and end of a scene. I know that's a misconception, but I feel like it's something that I've learned. Um, I think, I think in terms of misconceptions, I, (laughs) I think the thing about television, that's part of what I like that I didn't realize until I started doing it is like how kind of fly by the seat of your pants it is a lot of times, you know, you like, you never really have enough time. You constantly have to make these production decisions and revisions on the fly. Um, And that's really fun. But I feel like when you come at it from like, you know, I had been writing like television recaps and like reviews and things like that. You really think like every decision is incredibly deliberate and thought out. Right. And you realize that like, it's not <laughs> a lot of it is kind of improvised. You like, you lost this location. So you have to figure something out like the next day, you know, and that that's part of the fun of it. It's like very dynamic and things go wrong. And a lot of it is problem solving. And I don't think I realized to what extent that was true. <laughs> mm. Have you always wanted, I think you said both originally, but do you have some movies in mind as well? Do you prefer television? Like, how do you kind of think about 
movies as a storytelling device as well. Um, I mean, I love movies and of course I want to write movies. I, uh, I think um, I'm just starting to dip my toe into the feature world a little bit. It's different. Um, it's different than television. You know, they're obviously very related, but structurally they're very different. Like the way they're produced is very different. So, you know, in television, as a writer, you have a lot of control. Like the writer is really king. The showrunners are usually writers or almost always, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, and and movies are not like that. You know, movies kind of go through a lot of writers. It's really more yeah. of a director's medium. Um, so it's a little bit of a different process, um, but I, it is, but it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I think for most people, movies are their first love. Although I think I've always really truly loved television more than anything. I mean, all like I love TV. And it's only now as an adult that I realize like how much TV I watched as a kid, like so much TV. I have a, my little boy, like during the pandemic, especially at the beginning, I was just letting him watch like so much TV because there was nothing else to do. It was like, you can't go to the playground. No one knew if you could go outside. And I remember saying to my therapist, I just, you know, he's three and I feel like I'm letting him watch like 10 hours of TV a day. Like This cannot be good. And he was just kind of like, eh. Did you watch a lot of TV growing up? And I was like, yeah, I watched. So I watched TV from the second I got home from school, like until I went to bed. I watched from like 3 p.m. to like 10 p.m. And he was like, and what happened to you? And I was like, well, I I mastered the structure of an episode of television. <laughs> and it's, you know, I think it's it's fine. But um, but yeah, I watched. I really love it. And I, I love, I think the thing that I love about TV is the way that the characters really become your family, you know, like yeah. much more in a movie because they just, like you remember, when shows are on for a long time, like you remember where you were in your life when you watched it, you remember like, oh, that show came on the air at the beginning of that relationship. And then we broke up near the end of that show, <laughs> you know, like whatever it is, it, it really marks time in your life in a way that I think they sort of just, they're like invited into your homes that way. And um, whereas movies I think are much more scapist always. So it's, those are the kind of my two kind of emotional like feelings about the two mediums. But, um, but I, I am super excited about, you know, kind of dipping a toe into features and seeing what happens there for sure. What do you think's next for some of the um, television work that you're doing? Like, do you find any difficulties with, you know, when Glow came out, people probably watched it all that day and they've got to wait a whole a whole year. I mean, do you yeah. kind of, do you miss the, you know, weekly and talk about it on the water cooler type of airing programs or what do you think Ooh, about that today? I- and I feel like you can see that those still exist. And I think it can be really valuable for building audience and building excitement. I mean, I'm so obsessed with succession right now. And it's just like one episode a week. And like, I can't wait for the next one to come out. And then I feel like every week, it's like its own little launch where there's suddenly like articles about it again, and like interviews with the actors. And it like, it just stays in the consciousness so much longer. And, and I do kind of miss that model. I do think there are things that really lend themselves to bingeability. And I feel like also now, um, you know, there's people who won't even start a series until they know they can watch the whole thing from start to finish. So for me, it's kind of a happy medium. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm happy to know that they're all there and I can watch them all at once if I want. But I also I do kind of like the building anticipation. I'm I'm sort of caught between generations that way. Right, right. <laughs> um, I think what I'm hoping and I think this is starting to happen is that streamers will become more thoughtful about the way they release mm. their content. You know, that like that there are I think streamers are starting to see like, well, this show is actually great if we release two episodes a week because people yeah. really want to watch more than one. This one really needs to like build anticipation. This one, you people just want to watch all the way through and not stop, you know, and to kind of like be able to tailor that release to the show itself, I feel like is maybe the next step of what is going to start to happen. 
I usually try to end these with just, you've given a lot of great advice already, but just any last minute advice for people trying to break in today that you might tell them, uh, young writers? I mean, I think there's more opportunity than there's ever been. There's so much content and kind of the sky is the limit. I, I think I think more than ever too, there's just more opportunity in the kinds of stories that can be told. So I would urge them not to kind of self-edit, you know, tell whatever story is in you. There's somebody that's going to want to see it. And and the truer to your authentic voice you can be, the better. You know, like I think, really think about what makes you stand out and not what you think other people want. That's sort of my advice. And also like, you really do have to write. That's the hard part is that like, you have to actually write a script eventually. <laughs> That's still the hard part for me. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.